0: Well, good morning, man. Who's excited to be at church this morning? Make a little bit of noise. Excited to be here? <clears throat> man, I'm excited to be here. We going to welcome everybody out of Moorhead Campus. Thank you so much for joining us, but also at our Ashland and Grayson Campus. We are one church in three locations, and it is just so good to see what God is doing across this region. You know, as I think about this series and think about what we're doing and walking through all this, you know, one of the things that comes to my mind is, every, and hopefully your mind too as well, is that everything comes with a cost. Like, everything has a price tag on it. Like, nothing in this world is free. Like, nothing in this world is completely 100% free. Everything has a cost for it, and someone must pay for it. You know, my kids, they love going to Kentucky State Fair. We haven't been in a while. Anybody like going to Kentucky State Fair? Come on. Anybody like going go in there? Okay, three of us. Awesome, right? Let's awesome. <laughs> You know, three of us rednecks here, hey, we go to Kentucky State Fair. No, we love going to Kentucky State Fair. My wife was in 4-H and 4-H director and all this stuff before. And uh, we go to Kentucky State Fair. And every time we go, so it's, it's basically the same thing every single year. We haven't been in a few years, so it's time for us to go again. So we make another trip. She's saying yes over there. She's amen and going back to Kentucky State Fair. And so anyway, every time we go, my kids get so excited about going. It's not because they see cows and horses and all this stuff. It's to get all the free stuff. And so they give bags out, and you take a bag, and every booth has something free, right? And they don't even know what's on it. They don't even care what's written on it. Like, you get, you get a free stress ball, you get a pen, you, you get a knickknack, knack you, you, you get, like, a, a little water jug, and, and you get all this stuff. And so we come home, and all of our kids have a bag full of junk, by the way, just this free stuff. And they pour it all out on the table, like, look what we have all this stuff. And I've always told the nips, they keep telling this all the time, yeah, Dad, look at all the free stuff we got. And I keep saying, son, you know... I said, it's not free. And they go, yeah, no, no, we didn't pay for it. Someone gave it to us. I said, I know, I know, I know. But here's how this works. The company who who gave you that set some money aside for marketing. And because of their marketing budget, like I've already lost them right here, but I may lose you, but hang tight. And they set money to the side so that they spend the money to give to you to remind them who they are. It's just nothing's free. Someone paid for it. The business Paid for this so that you could have something for free. And I teach them this all the time over nothing is free. This weekend, my son. He, he's in, he's a freshman at UK, he, our first son went off to college, and he's in, and we're talking what's in the news right now, all the student loan, you know, uh, forgiveness and stuff like that, and, and like, what does this actually mean, what does that, what does that do, and, and do I get $10,000 off and of stuff, and I said, well, it's really not a forgiveness, and like, well, what do you mean? I said, it's really not a forgiveness, it's a transference. So they're taking debt from one place, and they're going to transfer to debt to another place, which is the federal debt, and that tags onto the federal debt, and really, at the end of the day, someone has to pay for it. So it's not free. Someone has to pay for it. Well, who, who's going to pay for it? Well, they're still debating who's going to pay for it. And so at the end of it, it's going to be taxpayers. So I'm not trying to make a political statement. I'm just letting you know, nothing in this world is free. Someone has to pay for it. Your salvation. You completely get your salvation for free. You put your faith and trust in Jesus. You repent of your sins. You choose to fall after Him. And guess what? You receive eternal life for free. Why? Because someone paid it for you. Jesus paid it all for you on the cross. Jesus came, he gave his life, he died for you, and he paid your penalty. You deserve to die, but Jesus took your place, he took my place, and therefore salvation may be free to us, but it costs God his very own son. So, with that, nothing is free. Everything comes with a cost. In fact, every decision you make in your life, there's a price tag to it. Every decision you make, there's a cost. Every time you say yes to something, you say no to something else. Let me give you an example. Every time you say yes to every single extracurricular activity, families, every single time, you're going to say no to something else. You're going to, something will cost you. It may cost you family time. It may cost you money. It may cost you something because what you want to be with family, but because you're spread out and you're going all over the place every night of the week, therefore you complain we don't have family time, but you're making a choice. That will cost you here. Every decision you make will cost you. Sir, you choose to work overtime. Why? Because they pay time and a half. Who wouldn't want to get paid time and a half? But you choose to work overtime. And you choose to make that decision which costs you family time. And so what you'll say is someday I'll be with my children. Someday I'll go to their games. Someday I'll watch them grow up. And someday never comes. Why? Because you are always working overtime. You made that choice. But it costs you here. Every decision you make in your life will cost you something. Every time you say yes to something, you say no to something else. And you better make sure you're saying yes to the most important things in your life. And so when you get your priorities straight, for instance, every time you swipe a card, every time you go in debt, every time you buy something way out of your means that you cannot afford, or you just say, as long as I can make the minimum payment, you are saying yes now, but you're saying no to something later. It could be no if a recession comes, and if it happens, then what takes place? You're saying no to early retirement because you'd rather play now instead of later. And so all I'm trying to say is this, every decision you make will cost you something. That's why you better count the cost. And when it comes to following Jesus, I don't believe really truly that most of us read the fine print And truly have counted the cost of what it looks like to follow after him. So this entire series has been about following after Jesus. And what does that really look like? I show up on Sunday, check a box that I was here, got my church out of the way, and now let's go back out and forget like anything about Jesus or anything else that happens in my life. Have I really counted the cost of what it really truly means to follow after Jesus? And so we've been in this passage in Luke chapter 14. So if you have your Bibles, you can go there. To Luke chapter 14, I'm actually using the New Living Translation, so if you're at our Ashland or Grayson campus or here and you have your Bible or your phone, you can go with me. I chose to pick this translation for this text to walk through it, but in Luke chapter 14, Jesus is setting the scene of really setting up the cost to follow him. Now, he's already talked about this in Luke chapter 9, and as you read through the the Gospels, he says it, but he's going back to counting the cost. Verse 25. A large crowd was following after Jesus, and he turned around and he said to them. Now, remember, we talked about this in week one. Who's in the crowd? He turned around to a large crowd who were traveling with Jesus. They thought they were following Jesus. Some had wrong motives, some had pure motives, some had no idea. I'm going with emotions. This is a lot of energy. This is the place to be. I heard this is the place that was happening. You know, Jesus, he'll heal you, he'll feed you. There were skeptics. There were people there who were confused. Are you truly who you say you are? There were truly people seeking after God. And then there was a handful of committed people, like are all in following Jesus, they truly are committed. So he looks at every one of them in verse 26. If you want to be my disciple, remember we said this every week, if is a condition, which means this, you have a choice. What you choose to say yes to, to, you'll say no to something else. So if is a condition, if you, this is what will happen in your life, this is a choice. And he says if you that word you is plural which means this every single person in the audience if you're here today and you're a skeptic going i just don't know about this god thing yet i'm just still trying to check this out he's speaking to you if you're here and you're fake there are fake christians you know that the bible tells us that there are people who think they're saved then they're not saved they look like a christian smell like a christian try to walk like one but their hearts are far from god that's why the bible says we can't judge your heart we don't know your heart, but the Bible says that you need to examine yourself. You need to check yourself before you wreck yourself. That's a 1999 theolo- theologian. You don't know unless you don't know what I'm talking about. So you you, you, you got to find out: Am I in the faith? That's why the Bible says this. Now I can't judge your heart, but I can judge the fruit from your life. We can see the fruit that comes from it and here's the reality i'm not being mean about this today you can't tell the difference between a christian and a non-christian you can't see which one's bearing fruit and which one's not bearing fruit how do we distinguish ourselves how do we or say we're different as the king james version says we're peculiar there should be something unique about those who follow jesus not weird unique they love a certain way they're patient a certain way they're kind a certain way they're they they do not bash people in a certain way like these are, their work ethic is unbelievable. There's something different about these people. The reality is that on world today, you really can't tell the difference. So Jesus says, you're in the crowd. I don't know who's following or not. Let's weed the crowd out. Jesus had no problem weeding the crowd out. Let's get down to the committed people who really, truly wanna be my disciple. So he says, if you wanna be my disciple, you must what? The NLT goes says, and, and interprets this and interprets it correctly here by comparison Hate everyone. Now, that word hate in your translation means to love less. Not hate, because the Bible, we talk, it can't contradict itself. It means to hate less. What's what it says? By comparison, you should hate everyone else. Your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brother, your sister, yes, even your own life, or otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Now, I wonder how many people in the crowd go, wait, What? Like Moses brought the commandments off the mountain and the commandments said to honor your mother and your father. Now you say you're God's son, the Messiah, the son of man. And now you tell us we gotta hate our family? Could you imagine the contradiction? Like I don't get it. And I'm sure people walked away. What is he trying to say? In comparison, your love for me, your love for me should look as you love everybody else. I need to be the number one relationship, the number one focus, the number one focus. I, I, I'm supreme. You should love me supremely and and. In comparison to everything else, it's obvious how much you love me. He's not saying to hate our family, but in comparison, we should love him supreme. He should be the number one, even above ourselves, right? To love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength is our greatest commandment. Or, look what he says, you can't be my disciple. I didn't read that in the fine print, right? I just walked in the of said a prayer, just raised my hand, checked the box, got baptized, and that was it, right? I, I didn't read the fine print, I got like... Hate, no, not hate, I gotta love him supremely. Like, no one told me that. Like, that's, the, that's, one, of the, that's one of the costs, that's one of the cost. Or you cannot be my disciple, verse 27. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, look what he says again, you cannot be my disciple. Three times in this passage, he says, you cannot be my disciple. We looked at two, next week we'll look at the next one. You cannot be my disciple. So I can't be God's, I can't be Jesus' follower if I, one, show that I love him more than anybody else on the planet, And two, take up my cross, which to me and you, we realize taking up your cross is not a burden. The cross was never a burden. So some people, though, they struggle, they have burdens in their life, like, well, I'm just bearing my cross. This is just a cross I have to bear. This is not a burden that you bear. That's not how, they would not have thought in the first century, like, well, what burden is he talking about? Like, people talk bad at me on Facebook, like my kid got expelled from Jerusalem high school. Like, what burden do I got to carry with me? Like, like, see, they're not thinking burdens. When they think of cross, they think of death. And Jesus says, there's a death march if you want to walk after me. You want to follow me? You want to pick up a cross and you're going to die. Now, they probably thought instantly, physically, and some did. And there are people today dying for their faith. Right now as we speak, they're dying for their faith. So there are people who are following Jesus in this way and they're dying for their, what they believe. But he's not saying, here's what he's saying. How's that applied to us today, two thousand? That you're to die to everything of your own. You're to die to your dreams, your plans, your purpose, your ways, your thoughts, how you're going to map your life out, right? I'm going to go to this school. I'm going to get this job. I'm going to make this much money. I'm going to get married with this person at this time, live in this house, and I'm going to live here, and I'm going to have two and a half kids, one dog, no cat, and then I'm going to retire at this age, right here. And you've mapped your whole life out. You go ask anybody who has any wisdom, or I would say gray on the head, that's wisdom sign, by the way, did their life turn out the way they planned it? And they would say, no, I wasted so much energy and time trying to plan and map my life out, and I had no idea this is where I would end up. That's why you trust him. Follow after him. But if you will die to your dreams, die to yourself, and deny yourself, here's what will happen. And you follow Jesus. The Bible says that we have now been raised to life in Jesus, which means this. Now you have resurrected dreams, resurrected purpose, resurrected destiny, and his ways and plans are greater than anything you could ever dream in your entire life. So you're willing to die to yourself and trust him and follow him every single day. Or, look what he says. This is tough. You can't be my disciple. You want to be a disciple? Yeah. How we counted the cost. So then what Jesus does is he goes and he speaks in some of the things that he always spoke in, which are parables. Parables. Now parables they say is is, is like a, a, an earthly story, but has a heavenly meaning, has a, a point. People who study parables will say, if you really want to know what Jesus means by the parable, the meaning of the parable is typically found right at the end of the parable. So if you go to the end of the parable, that kind of explains what Jesus is trying to get to so Jesus told these stories. so Jesus looks at the crowd and all these people remember skeptics and and, and fake people and 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 confused people and and committed people, and he tells these stories to help them understand the point he's trying to make. Here's what he says in the first parable. He says, but don't begin, if you're gonna follow me, if you're really gonna come after me, here's what he tells you to do. But don't begin until you count the cost. Sit down and think about it. What would it look like for you to truly follow Jesus? Like, what would you have to do? What would you have to give up? What would have to change? What would would change your life? And for me, as a college student, you know, my eighth grade year, I walked in the aisle, said a prayer, was baptized, but I never met Jesus. My senior year in high school, walked in the aisle, said a prayer, was baptized, but I never met Jesus. I believe there's a God, I never knew Him personally. And when I gave my life to Jesus, the night when I was giving my life to Jesus, all the things going through my head is Daniel, you can't live this life. You're going to have to give up all your music. You have to get rid of 99.9 percent of your vocabulary. You're not going to be able to hang out with these people. Go watch these movies. Go look at this stuff on the internet. You're going to have to give up all this. Are you willing to give all this up? These are the thoughts were going through my mind as I'm trying to give my life to Jesus on September 2, 1997. I didn't know then what I know now, but I'm really, it was the enemy tempted, You're willing to count the cost. You can't live this lifestyle. You tried it your eighth grade year. You tried it your senior year. There's no way you will ever be good enough to be a Christian. And that was the thoughts that were going through my mind as I was surrendering my life to Jesus. Count the cost. What's the cost? Look what he says. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who begins the construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started that building and could not afford to finish. Now, this is in a society where shame and honor are huge. So you, you start out, you think you're strong, you think you're going, you're going then all you realize is that you didn't count the cost, like, man, this is too tough. You mean I, I need to show up and, and serve at church? You mean God wants me to tithe? You, you mean, I, I mean, I've got to do what? Well, i got <coughs> to read my Bible every day? and Wait, i, I got to serve the poor? i got to get out in the community? Like, what about I just, like, get out of hell card and I get to live my life? I mean, I, I got to spend time with people in the church. I don't even know if I even like people in the church. Like, I got to do community with people. Like, you I mean, I got to live in a small town, and maybe people I don't like or, or, or I'm aggravated or that I'm jealous of go to the same church that I go to. Like, I don't, know, I don't know if I could do that. You see how petty we are about things like this? Like, have you really sit down and counted the cost and calculated it of what it really truly means to follow Jesus. Because one of the most damaging things that happens to the kingdom of God is that when people claim to be a Christian but don't live like it. You know how many people make excuses they won't come to church because they work with a bunch of hypocrites? You know that. You've seen that. Some of that was your story. I'm not going to church because they, they said, listen, my, my stepdad, who I prayed for over and over and over to give his life to Jesus, he goes, why do I need to go when I'm better off morally, than everybody else that I know in the church. And you know what, he's right. He was right. But praise God, after praying 16, 18 years for him, he gives his life to Jesus. we were able to baptize him right here before he went home to be with the Lord. Because he saw finally someone who would live what it means to be a follower of Jesus. The world's starving, waiting for people who claim to know Jesus, to look like Jesus, love like Jesus, and eventually lead like jesus the, st- the world's dying for that but we are not stepping into it because we don't want to count the cost the cost of being ridiculed the cost of whatever it may be in your life and so if we're going to make false possessions and here's what of you say right now well i know people who started the faith and ended it i know people who used to be on fire for jesus and then they left and they lost their salvation they didn't lose their salvation the Bible's very clear. I mean, you can study it backwards and forwards all the way through it. When you are saved, you're eternally secured forever. How do I know I'm saved? I'm still saved. Well, what about the people who was like in church for two or three years, and they said they knew Jesus. I mean, they were like on fire. Like they knew the Bible. I mean, they were like, they knew their stuff. And then now they've gone out living into the world and they went back living like a hell. They've lost their salvation. No, the Bible says they never had it. Not that they lost it, they never had it because you can go through the motions. That's what says, examine your heart, check yourself. Make sure that you're in the faith. So Jesus turns to the crowd and says, think about someone who would built a house. You're gonna sit down, okay? What's it gonna cost? Do I have enough money? And this time, you better add 40% to it because you're gonna miss something. If not, you're gonna be ridiculed. You're gonna be made fun of. What is he saying? Count the cost. Now, what is the cost? Have you sit down and think about it? What is the cost of following Jesus today? Think about this in your own life. What would it cost you to truly surrender, abandon everything, and follow him? Let's think about that. Well, it would cost complete surrender. That means i probably have to really pray who God wants me to be with and date because a dating relationship only ends two ways, right? You break up or you get married. So the person you're dating right now, either you're gonna marry them or you're gonna break up with them. That's the two outcomes, so now I probably need to get serious and say, God, who do you want me to spend the rest of my life with? So I don't get to do what I want, when I want, how I want, and jump, and jump, jump, jump. I, I, I got to really seek and say, God, what do, you, what do you have for me? That means I don't really get to choose so much maybe what college to go to because I got the money to pay for or, or because my parents make me go here. God, what do you want me to do when 78% of people just right here in our backyard in the university undeclared because they have no idea what their purpose is in life? God, what do you, what's your plans for me? God, what job do you want me to have? Not because it has the most money or makes the most money or because it's going to give me the best lifestyle or this lifestyle. God, where do you want me to work? Who do you want me to work for? Where do you want me to go? God, who do you want me to marry? I'm going to surrender this to you. God, when do you want me to move? God, how do you want me to spend my money? What do you want me to buy? What do you want me to save? What do you want me to invest in? What do you want me to bless? Because everything I have is yours. I'm going to completely, like, if you count the cost, everything I am is completely yours. All my possessions, all my assets, my family, my relationships, my purity, everything, who I am is completely yours. And the answer is yes, before I even know what your command is. What would your life look like, and how would it change if you completely surrendered? And for some of you, that is very difficult. Like, God, thank you for saving me, but don't touch my business. I'll run my business the way I wanna run my business, and I'll do what I wanna do. Don't touch. God, thank you for saving me, but don't tell me what I gotta do with my family. I'll raise my family how I want. If we wanna skip and do stuff, and we don't have to be it all the time. No one says you gotta be in church every single Sunday. I can do what I want when I want, so all that stuff. Like, thank you. Lord, but, those two words do not go together. What would your life look like if you counted the cost and completely surrendered everything to Jesus? Yeah, you'll probably be made fun of. Yeah, you'll probably miss out on some of the things the world has to offer. Yeah, you probably won't go to certain places, watch certain things, drink certain things, do certain things. Yeah, you'll probably, life will change. Temporarily, you'd give up some stuff that the world may say it's fun or indulgent that you should do, temporarily. But then what would you gain? You gain eternity with Jesus. There be no more tears, no more cancer, no more de- sickness, no more death, eternal peace for eternity. So is the 60, 70, 80 years, if you're blessed to live that long, outweigh in comparison of eternity. The short cost of getting rid of not having certain things, doing certain things, or living a certain way. And what kind of way? Of life or of peace and patience and, and joy and kindness and self-control. So have I counted the cost of my willing to surrender it all. But then what's the cost of not following Jesus? Well, let's think about your temporary resident here on earth. If you don't follow Jesus, then here's the reality: do whatever you want to do. Go wherever you want to go, do whatever you want to do. Party how you want to party, make what you want to make, spend what you want to spend, make life be about you, focus on you, do whatever you want that makes you happy. You go and you just knock it out of the park. Eat, drink, and be merry. Do whatever you want to do. With all the things, the selfish or any impulsion that you have, do it, carry it out. Whatever you want. If you don't want to follow Jesus, you go be your king, you go be your Lord, you go do everything you want to for the next 60, 70, 80 years, assuming God allows you to live that long. Do whatever you want to do, but then what do you lose? What's the flip side of that? Hell for all eternity, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, Where you be tormented for all eternity for the rest of your life? all because I'm not willing to surrender to a king today to live my life how I want to live my life, fill my own desires, my own plans, my own wishes, my own dreams, my own purpose. I want to be my boss, my king, and my Lord for the temporary time that I'm here on earth. There's a cost to every single decision. If you make a cost, a decision to follow Jesus today, it will cost you now. It will cost you, but great is your reward. If you make a decision not to follow Jesus' day and live how you want and do whatever you want and just live your life and you be your God King, yes, guess what? There's a short, temporary gain. But then damnation for eternity. Jesus says, if you wanna follow me, you better sit down and calculate it and count the cost. It will cost you to follow me. So then he tells another parable. Actually, before I go into that parable, let me share here what Paul says. Paul got this. In Philippians, in Philippians chapter three, verse eight, listen to what Paul says. He says, yes, everything else is worthless in compare with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I discarded everything else, counted it all as garbage. Now, that word garbage, our English translations are really polite in that word. Some will go as far and say dung or manure. Paul says, everything else this world has to offer is nothing but a big pile of manure in comparison to the surpassing infinite knowledge of just knowing who Christ Jesus is so that I will gain Christ and become one with him. Paul got this, who sacrificed and walked away from everything to follow after Jesus. But the second parable, and the last one here, he says, what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the army with 20,000 soldiers marching against him? So the guy sits down and goes, gets his generals, gets everybody in the room, all the one who fills the battle plan and said, how can we defeat a, an army double our size? and they realized with wisdom and counsel, well, let's go walk this out. We could fight to the death and everyone would die, including you, king, and all your assets, all your land, your entire kingdom will be gone. Or, got another idea. What if we send a delegation out in front of us, let them run, look what it says. We will send a delegation to discuss what? The terms of peace. Yet while the enemy or the other king is still far away, let's figure out some agreement here. If we do that, here's what will happen. We'll surrender, but we keep our life. We still get to live in this kingdom, even though it won't be ours because we'll be under their rule. So we better count the cost. Fight to the death, which ends in death, or surrender and still have a life. And then it stops. Both of them say, you better consider and count the cost. But I made this observation. An application observation to us today. That first king is you. It's me. We have a kingdom that will come against us who is greater than us and more powerful than us. His name is Jesus. And that king will come and I have to choose to make a decision. Will I go and just fight to death, and live my life, do what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it, knowing that when He comes and I'm an enemy of His, I'm going to be utterly destroyed because I can't defeat Him. Or will I surrender to Him? And you know what the crazy thing is? I don't have to send a delegation of peace out. there's already been a delegation of peace. In fact, the king that's coming came to this earth, died on the cross to be your peace treaty so that you can have peace with the opposing king who's coming, who defeat you. You're defeated either way it goes. You cannot win this battle. You may live temporary for a while on earth and live to your pleasures and your fullness of life. You will end and you will not win. Or you accept the peace treaty. Jesus, I believe you came for me. I believe you died for me. And I believe that you got up out of the grave for me. And today I repent of my sin and as best as I know how, I surrender myself to you, my kingdom to you. I no longer want to be the king of my life. I no longer want to be the Lord of my life. You're the king, you're the Lord, and I will humbly bow and I will submit to you, and everything that I have is yours. And I will I will walk through your peace treaty and give my life to you. And everyone in the crowd has the same choice and the same decision. What would you choose? What king? Yourself to serve? Or King Jesus? I went to the end. And he wins. This is not like, well, maybe I can defeat you. He wins. And he is coming. And you better be prepared because one day, the Bible is very clear. One day, in Philippians 2, listen to what Paul said one day, it says, Therefore, God elevated him to the place of the highest honor and gave him the name above all other names Jesus. And that name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven on earth even under the earth and every people group every tribe every nation every color skin every language on the planet no matter who you call yourself if you call yourself an atheist if you believe in another religion it doesn't matter who you are every single body in the world who ever has lived in this entire universe watches will bow a knee and they will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord listen someday you will confess him as King I'm begging you on this side of eternity, bow the knee and do it before it's too late. You will bow to him. The king is coming. He's way more powerful than you. You cannot win this. Surrender. Count the cost. And when you do, you will realize He is worthy to follow him and sacrifice and surrender and let go of my kingdom. And then he says, if you do, guess what? You could be my disciple. Every one of us have a decision to make. What will you choose? I'm going to ask you to bow your head. Jesus gave them a choice, some turned away, some walked away, some says, where are we to go? You're the king. What will you choose? Two invitations. One, if you know Jesus, you put your faith in Jesus, what part of your kingdom have you not fully surrendered to him? I don't know what that is for you, but the Holy Spirit does. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal, what are you still holding on to that you have not let go in your kingdom? And then whatever he shares with you, be obedient. Listen and then respond. But for those of you who have not come to the point in your life that you choose to trust and follow Jesus, I pray that today is the day you do that. I've clearly already showed you the scriptures are clear. That if you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, he is king. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. The Bible says you will be saved. those of who will lose their life on this side will be saved and gain life on the other side but those who want to win their life on this side of eternity will lose on that side and I beg you to do it before it's too late it's not to scare you but there is a cost Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you're patient with us. Thank you, Lord, it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. And even yet, while we were sinners, you sent the king to be the peace treaty, the bridge, the pathway between here and there. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you will open our eyes to see. No matter what this world has to us to gain, it fails in comparison to the reward, to the eternity that we have with you. Forgive us, Lord. We focus so much on our own kingdom and we make it about us. Now help us truly follow after you, to be your disciple, to learn about you, to help others follow you, to be a light in a really dark world. And I pray, Father, every single person that makes that choice, that decision, They've 100% surrender to you. God, move in their life. Surround them with your presence. Supernaturally open their eyes to see the glory and the riches of who you are. For it's your name we ask and we pray. Amen.